0: Hey, everybody, this is pop culture critic John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, to share her view of pop culture, small town life and the riddles of human nature. On this episode, Mom reviews the dramatic end of James Hour's run on Jeopardy!, Let's bring Mom in now. Hi, Mom.
1: How are you? Hi, John. How are you? I'm fine.
0: I'm very good. You know, um, to, despite a uh, minor illness this week, I've had uh, some very good days lately, and it was sort of exemplified. The other day, I uh, drove down to my office. I have to park on the street on an, in a nearby neighborhood because it's free there. It was a street-sweeping day. So what they do in uh... Chicago is they put signs up on the trees nearby on the blocks they're going to sweep and they'll have a big m for monday and they'll put up big t's for the tuesday side of the street right so it's hard to miss wait,
1: wait how do you know it's, whether it's tuesday or thursday
0: well it does say tuesday underneath and they and the oh, thursday okay. signs say th but yeah it says tuesday underneath so you know for sure uh, okay so what what you do is you can just see which sides of which blocks have cars on them and which don't. So, you know, because there's about half as many spaces available, you're driving along and you're just looking for a space in between all the other cars. So I find one, you know, I park between, there's three cars and there's a space between them. I slip in and I'm walking down the other side of the street after I get out, get all my stuff. And I just, out of the corner of my eye, just catch the edge of an M. And I walk back a little and take a closer look at where I parked. And here's a little lesson. In going with the crowd, everybody else on that block was parked illegally, too. (laughs) I was so happy that I saw just that little sliver of the M and knew it couldn't be a T. And went back and moved my car and found a space that was just a little bit longer than my car and pulled into it perfect. First try.
1: Oh, what a show-off you are, because you can parallel park.
0: And then I got out of the car, and um, I had my I had my sunglasses on, and I had my regular eyeglasses uh, hanging on my shirt, and they fell off and fell right into a little tray that I was bringing in to uh, put on my desk that day. The one day I've ever carried anything like this. Any other day, they would have fallen on the ground, and I just felt like hey, everything is falling into place today. I mean, two disasters avoided <laughs> in as many minutes. I was It was like I was walking on air as I made my way into That's the studio so funny. that day. That
1: makes you feel like you should run to the 7-Eleven and buy a lottery ticket.
0: <laughs> it does. Sometimes there are those days where everything just clicks, um, and this was one of those days. So I hope you're having days like that, too.
1: Yeah, well, you've set the bar sort of high there, so...
0: I know, you know. good parking job and uh, intact glasses. It's hard to top that right. kind of day.
1: Right,
0: Well, what's been going on with you?
1: Uh, you know, not not so much. I do have a question for you. Mm. As you know, I have a friend. Friend isn't quite the right word. <laughs> but uh, she lives on the same street as me. Yeah. And we occasionally go out and do stuff together. She's a neighbor, She's a neighbor. Yeah. She's a neighbor. She's very nice. She's very nice, but we're really not on the same wavelength. She doesn't really get me. She doesn't really get my sense of humor. She doesn't really get much about me. But, <laughs> yeah, no. um, she feels like we're good friends and, and we are occasional buddies. So mm-hmm. anyway, she seems to irritate me quite a bit.
0: Should we give her a name? Do you want to make up a name uh, for her? Okay. Or or I can make up a name.
1: Why don't you make up a name?
0: Okay. How about her name is uh, Marguerite?
1: Okay. Okay. Well, can we remember that, though? I'll remember it. All right. So she never contributes too much. Who doesn't? Marguerite. Very good. (laughs) If we go out, I always have to drive. Mm. But she'll call and say, let's go somewhere. Let's go here or there, or but the assumption is always that I'll drive, and she doesn't always have a car, and she's a terrible driver, but I still would like her to offer once in a while yeah. to drive yeah even though even if I would say, "No, no, I'll drive, so I realize that that whole thing is part of my pettiness, um, <laughs> but. It irritates me. It irritates me that she just doesn't offer. And she called the other night and she said, hi, how are you? And it's five o'clock. So I know she isn't calling to invite me somewhere. And I said, I'm good. How are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm good. I need to go shopping in your kitchen. Oh, great. And I said, well, what are you looking for? And so she told me she was looking for, you know, an onion and, whatever. Mm -hmm. And this happens with some amount of frequency. You know, do you have a jar of spaghetti sauce? Do you have a, you know, and then that's, that's it. It's, we're done. You know, we're done for another three weeks. Are
0: the goods then replaced after they're quote unquote borrowed? No. So she's just, when she says shopping in your kitchen, she's, like shopping in the supermarket sweep mold, where she just comes in and just dumps some stuff into her bag, and then she's out of there.
1: <laughs> she's out of there. I just I just feel like I'm so done with it. I'm done with it. And I said, I'm, you know, I don't have those things that you need. Well, she said, I guess I have to go back to town. And I thought, yeah, go back to town, because I am not your shopping cart. And now, now I hang up and I feel even more petty and I just hate the way I feel. Yeah. So I I don't know what to do. I'm I'm just, this goes on and on and on and on. This constantly is going on. And I just, I'm fed up with it. I want to move.
0: So how does this come about? Does she just decide she wants to make something for dinner for herself, but she hasn't gone to the store yet? Is it just bad planning on her part?
1: I'm just going to say bad planning.
0: Bad planning. OK.
1: Which where we've all been.
0: A jar of spaghetti sauce, though, is a pretty big ask.
1: Do you think so? I think
0: so. I think so. An Especially onion, you... an onion is, was another example you mentioned. That's about the limit, I think. It's really? produce. Produce is more um, is more appropriate for this type of interaction. I feel. Oh, oh, do you have an onion? I, f- I ran out for my sauce. Right. But if right. you're if you're just taking the whole jar of spaghetti sauce, I don't. I can't even describe why. But that to me seems across the line.
1: Well, that's really interesting because not only was it a jar of spaghetti sauce, but I buy very expensive spaghetti sauce. I use a, a brand called. I think it's called Mike's from Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. and it is just like homemade. It is really exceptional spaghetti sauce, but it costs like $9 for a large jar of it.
2: Yee.
0: Speaking of the supermarket sweep, dump that into your cart. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's no, no, like, oh, that sauce was really good or... You know, here's a jar of ragu or, yeah. I, you know, there's just nothing.
0: Well, that's, boy, that's the sticky part because it could provide an opportunity for a friendly interaction in a more functional relationship where, yeah, she comes back and, she's, and she says something like, I love this sauce. I know it's not the kind you get, but try it and tell me, you know,
2: mm. it, it could
0: be the basis for an ongoing conversation. It could be a nice thing for it to be happening all the time. Um, but yeah. if it's so one-sided, that's tough. And I, I assume that you are never uh, pilfering her cupboards. I am not. Could you say I something like that to her? Like, I'll let you, I'll let you take this, but you've got to um, pick out a jar of your favorite spaghetti sauce to replace it. Could you say something like that? No. Because why? Because it just wouldn't register.
1: Right. It. It just, you know, it would be like, oh, sure.
0: And then it would never happen.
1: No, it would never happen because now she has taken her out of crisis and that's it. That's the end of it. It is Mm. is a difficult relationship. We are at different um, economic levels, which I don't give a crap about. But of course, you know, I'm in the higher one. So of course I don't give a crap. And I get (laughs) that. I understand that. But, you know, if, if I go out shopping sometimes I would like to go out to lunch also you know I'd like to go out and stop and have a burger or a chicken sandwich or something you know nothing ritzy you know nothing with a tablecloth but she never wants to do that because her budget is very tight Mm. and and I do understand that I do and I'm willing to pay I don't yeah I just want to sit down and have a conversation and but she never wants to do that cuz yeah. she doesn't want me to pay and so it's 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 a hard relationship to maintain.
0: That is a tricky uh, that is a tricky spot. Yeah. Um because uh, you know, she's trying to maintain some dignity. That's how she she sees it, right?
1: Right. And I and I do understand that.
0: Of course, of course. You've been there, you get it. Um hmm. Um, Now, I believe Marguerite has come up on the podcast before and you have sworn her off saying you're just not going to be friends with her anymore. But you continue to be friends with her. So you do enjoy the companionship to some degree, right?
1: Well, you know, sometimes we go out and it's quite fun. And I use that term in a not not a fun way. It's difficult. It's convenient, but it's difficult. Yeah. So what do you have for me? What do you have for me if you were uh the advice columnist?
0: Well, I mean, my main advice is I think you need to make some more friends, Mom.
1: Well, that was really helpful. right well, That's true. Well, I do have another friend that I do enjoy very much.
0: Oh, really? What's her yeah. name?
1: Jane. Jane Ragazzo.
0: Oh, okay. We're using her real name?
1: Yeah, I love her. I, I would... <laughs> I would be happy to
0: use her name, Yeah, I was hoping she could be like Esmeralda or something, but fine, we can just call her Well,
1: I've blown it now, unless you want to edit Esmeralda in.
0: (laughs) No, I would not deceive the listeners. So, um, boy, I don't know. I think, I don't have a good answer to the um, cupboard pilfering problem in particular, and the lunch one is tricky, too. Uh, I know. Because I understand... I understand how it's awkward for her, and uh, I know you do, too. I think we should put it to the listeners. Can we do that?
1: Oh, I, I, would, I would love some input because, you know, I'm trying to be respectful and, and still have sometimes what I want, too.
0: Okay, so let's do the Dr. Joy Brown uh, routine. May she rest in peace. Oh, um, may she rest in peace. Um, and what is your question? That was always what she demanded of the people who called in to her.
1: Did you listen to her?
0: I loved Dr. Joy Brown. Yeah, we used to um, when Anne and I lived in New York. In fact, we used to uh, download the podcast and put it on while we were me too. Around with other stuff. Yeah, she. Um, it's a shame she died so early. She was really good. Yeah, and and,
1: and very unexpectedly.
0: Um, I learned a lot from her. If you don't know who we're talking about, yes. which I imagine most people don't, um, you can look her up. Longtime radio psychologist, call-in psychologist, Dr. Joy Brown. I wonder if any of her archives are online. I hope so. It's Brown with an E at the end.
1: She was in from WGN Radio. Uh,
0: I believe she was W O R.
1: Uh, well, it did start with a W, so I <laughs> had that right.
0: So she was yeah, east of the Mississippi. We know that much, but um, she was out in New she York.
1: She was wonderful. She was very logical and very thoughtful and very uh, direct. I mean, you didn't you didn't hang up wondering, gee, I wonder what she meant. She was wonderful.
0: She really was. Uh, but enough reminiscing about Dr. Joy. We can do that on another episode. Right now, what is your question to the listeners that they can write in and help you with?
1: Can you help me with a plan to how to make this friendship more even?
0: More even. Okay. Good. Uh, I think that's clear. Uh, so if you have some advice for mom, maybe a little anecdote from your own life, whatever, you don't need to be Dr. Joy Brown yourself. Let's just share and talk about it right into popmom at ological.net. That's P O P M O M at ological.net. We would love to hear from you and get your perspective on uh, this trying friendship with uh, Marguerite that mom has maintained.
1: I have Uh, a question for you.
0: Another question.
1: I have a question for you, because this (laughs) just occurred to me. But you know, you know the man that wrote the column that was like all about sex? Like, was it Strange Love?
0: Oh, uh, Dan Savage, yeah?
1: Yes. Yeah? Do you think that there's still questions for him? Hasn't, hasn't, don't you think every question has been asked by now?
0: Uh, No. No, I think that the um, world of sexuality continues to evolve. So I think that there's, Mm. you know, there's new questions as the cultural context evolves. And uh, I think that the world of sex is complex enough that there's still new material for him. He has been at it for quite a while.
1: It's been a long time.
0: Boy, I just remember That's getting cool. those, I don't know how those print onions, print editions of The Onion made their way to the house when um, I was a teenager, but opening up to that middle section with the A.V. Club, as you know, was life-changing for me. You yeah, know? Uh, yeah. And this, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire and plugged into the, as much of the culture as I could be, but to have these people talking about sitcoms and breaking them down and appreciating them. And, you know, all of the pop culture just done with such veneration. And then right in the middle was the Savage Love column from Dan Savage, yeah. which opened my eyes in a totally different way. Woof, that yeah. A.V. Club, that came along at a good time in my life.
1: I think it did. I think it really did, Um, because... It probably answered a lot of questions for you that I had no uh, interest in answering for you.
0: Well, you know, and these are two... Not
1: that I wouldn't have.
0: You know, it's we didn't, ex- we didn't plan this. We didn't plan to talk about either of these people, but these are two people whose advice still resonates with me, Joy Brown and Dan Savage. These are two people who their mantras still resonate with me and I still apply. They really influenced me. So they're there for entertainment, of course, but... But these are two people who did make a difference in my worldview, and I guess (laughs) I appreciate uh, columnists. I guess Joy Brown isn't a columnist, but you know what I mean. She had this regular recurring advice is what I'm uh, getting at.
1: Yeah, three hours every day of some common sense advice in any situation that was thrown at her.
0: Yeah, and she would cut right to it. What's your question? Because everybody thought they needed to give their life story, and she was just like, no, actually, you don't.
1: Nope. Don't need to know that. I do remember one story she told about uh she used to have a watermelon delivered every week. She used to have watermelon for breakfast every morning and she said, "Why don't people listen? Why don't people listen?" He would come in and he had the watermelon in his hand and I said, "You really need to." She said, I said, "Wait, did I Do you know what I'm talking about?" I have now? no
0: idea what you're talking about. Start over. <laughs> Start over.
1: She had a delivery guy come and bring her groceries. To her apartment, and he brought a watermelon. And she said to him, You really need to hold that with two hands. And he said, I've got it. I've got it. And he came into her kitchen and he dropped it in and exploded all over her floor. She told that story on the air.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, it's quite a tale.
1: Isn't it isn't it interesting? Today we're not talking about watermelon.
0: Well, but we might be you know, I have in my notes that there was a FedEx home delivery incident. Do you want to share that or am I changing the well, subject to
1: I'll tell you I'll tell you this one very quickly. Okay. We we had a FedEx home delivery guy that got familiar when dad was, you know, relocating his studio back to the house Mm -hmm, again mm -hmm. and he was getting lots of deliveries and this this young man was from the south and he was very very sweet very sweet and he knew how to do a delivery you know because dad doesn't get up till late and I'm up early and I just don't I don't want to interact with the delivery people (laughs) they make me very nervous and You know, dad would like his stuff delivered to the other side of the house where he has a a door and it just, it makes me very nervous. So this guy had it down. He would sign for dad and that was it. Um, He left. So now there's a new guy and they come to the front door where there's a sign that says, please deliver to the other side of the house, the other driveway that we have two driveways,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Now, people are—before people picture this vast mansion, the, <laughs> the second driveway is like a stub, like an architectural accident, right? Yeah. So it's not— It's, it's not like this. where
1: they—if you're paving the street, you dump your excess here, and we'll make it into our driveway. <laughs>
0: that's right. That's right. Okay. Proceed.
1: So now you think, well, it's perfectly clear. I mean, it does look like a driveway. It's mm. just truncated, so— now they, the new delivery guy pulls into the driveway, reads the sign, pulls out of the driveway, and is started to deliver stuff to the front of the house, where we never go. <laughs> we never go there. So The
0: porch, I, I you mean? The little porch that never gets used? Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: They leave it on the stone steps out Oof, front. Geez. Yeah. You know, where we don't even walk, And nobody looks there, so I don't know how dad is going to resolve this. He thought he had it all covered, but now now we look like a grocery store. We have signs all over the front of the house, the side of the house, on the doors, don't deliver here, deliver here. It's very, you know, FedEx home delivery needs to hire some people that really want a career with FedEx home delivery.
0: Well, I'm sure they'd like to, but I'm also sure they don't pay very well, so...
1: Well, that's, that's not my problem. That is a FedEx home delivery problem. And if you want people to utilize your service, then give us some customer service.
0: Well, as it turns we'll out, it easy. is your problem. And there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it, so...
1: All right, thanks. Well, you have no answers for any of my issues today.
0: I sure don't, but you know who does have a lot of answers is Mr. Alex Trebek the host of the show we're talking about today. Wow. How about that?
1: Ah, that was so slick. But, you know, Johnny, I thought you were going to say, you know, who does have a lot of answers, and then say, James.
0: He has the questions, though.
1: Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. You got me? You're so much smarter than me. I'm so sorry.
0: Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) Good. Okay, let's talk about Jeopardy! in particular. The defeat of James Holtzauer after 32 victories, cash winnings that totaled $2,462,216, and a national frenzy over his aggressive playstyle, Jeopardy! champion James Holtzauer finally went down to defeat June 3rd. He was bested by another Chicago-area resident, Emma Betcher. A University of Chicago librarian whose master's thesis was an attempt to program computer intelligence that could determine the difficulty of a Jeopardy clue. As of this taping, Emma remains Jeopardy champion. Here's a clip of her thrilling upset. Over to James now. He had 23,400, and his response was correct. His wager, a modest one for the first time, that takes him to 24,799. So, Emma, it's up to you. If you came up with a correct response, you're going to be the new Jeopardy! champion. Did you? You did. What did you wager? Oh, gosh, 20000 What a payday. 46801 What a
1: game. Oh, my gosh.
0: Jeopardy! airs on TV stations across the country. Consult your local listings for airtimes. Mom, this word describes your reaction to Monday's episode of Jeopardy!
1: What is jubilation?
0: Ha. <laughs> so you were rooting yes. you were rooting against James. I was. You didn't like him? Uh,
1: I, I it's not that I didn't I mean I I didn't like him, but I don't know him, so I I don't not like him. Yes. But he really ruined this game for me because I don't think this game will ever be played the same way. Hmm. And being an old fart, I like it played from the smallest amount of money to the largest amount of money. I need a minute to get into the category to uh, understand the timing of it. And I like that first little question that gives me an indication of where we're going. He did very well with his Start at the bottom, grab all the money, and I think people will study that method and utilize some form of it.
0: Well, Emma has been. I'm not
1: happy about that.
0: (laughs) Emma has been using much the same technique, right? Emma Betcher is who beat him.
1: Yeah. Now, now her method is a little different. She does start uh, sometimes in the middle, Mm -hmm. or sometimes at the bottom, and and works her way up. She's not quite as a big a pig as he was in wiping out all the thousand slash $2,000 questions.
0: A pig? Really?
1: And I'm going to tell you why.
0: Mm,
2: Yeah.
1: Okay? Because at first I thought, wow, this guy's sharp. This guy has all the answers. Um, He really knows how to play the game. But when he was so very far ahead, I felt that when it came to the 200 or even the 400, I mean, he was so far ahead of everybody <laughs> and he still answered those questions. He didn't <laughs> bow oh, out. And, you can't let up. Well, I'm sorry. I just think there's, I, I felt so sorry for the people that came on and were just devastated by his play. And he's entitled to play any way he wants. But when it came to those the last questions that were left at the top of the board i felt it would have been more noble to just step out at those at that point get you know get ready for the next round get ready for final jeopardy i just thought it was i i thought it was too aggressive
0: now why but what would be the point in that because it's not like those other people are going to get to take that money home someone might as well earn it
1: well, Maybe. you know, they came on the show. They were just as excited to come on the show as he was. Let them answer a question or two. Let them go home feeling like they played the game. At least, you know, it's it's like it's like at the at the peanut scramble when he runs onto the field and grabs all the peanuts and stuffs them down his shirt, uh-huh. and everybody else is standing there with a peanut in their hand, and he walks off. The, rustling of peanut shells. I'm sorry, that was a very bad analogy.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm thinking about the 4th of July. Um, I just thought he, he was not, not a gentleman. Not, not a, he was a pig.
0: Well, I don't know that I can go so far as that, but I'll tell you, I sympathize with the concern that the game is never going to be played the same again because, yes, it is more enjoyable to play along at home oh. when they just go from top to bottom and you can ease into the category. And the idea always has been that the ca- the contestants can ease into the category as well. But if it wasn't going to going to be James Holzhauer doing this, it was going to be someone um, to come along and exploit this very tension in Jeopardy, which is that to keep the clues easy enough so that people can play along. And look, there are some difficult clues in Jeopardy. I'm not saying it's all softballs, but to keep it at a level where ordinary people can still play along with the $1,600, the $2,000 questions. Right. There's a cap to how hard they can make it. And as it turns out, the universe of Jeopardy! knowledge turns out to be more limited than you might think, even though they try to and and do sample a diverse range of disciplines and diverse parts of the culture.
2: Mm-hmm. There's only mm-hmm.
0: so much they can fit into this play-along-at-home um, container. So the conceit of the game is... You place yourself in jeopardy if you ring in for the high-value questions because you could lose that money if you're wrong. But the fact okay. is that most like top Jeopardy players know the vast majority of the clues that come up on screen. It just comes up to the buzzer, which is how Ken Jennings uh, won his streak. He was just so good on the okay. buzzer, as was James Holtzauer. Um, and James Holtzauer added the dimension of this aggressive wagering. He said, if the clues at the bottom are, to me— almost as easy as the clues at the top, why wait? Get that money. And it's a perfectly reasonable strategy that I think, now that we've seen it, it feels kind of inevitable, which I guess is what you're getting at, is how can you not copy that strategy? We'll see. Right. Right. Emma does not play quite as aggressively. She, Like you say, she's been starting in the the middle. You know, her her strategy isn't quite as rigorous, I think, as James. But yeah, she's been starting around the middle of the board in, in her subsequent games.
1: And she's very knowledgeable, and I think she's a nice she's a nice relief from James, and that she's not, you know, wiping the big questions of the board out. But but I'm going to tell you, we stopped watching um, the last two weeks of James's reign because it wasn't any fun.
2: Yeah.
1: And and ultimately, television is is my fun place. If it's not fun, I'm not all in. And I wonder if there's other people that feel that way. You know, I know I realized there were people that were really rooting for him and liked him and they were having T-shirts made up. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he was a real Mm -hmm. phenomenon, but he couldn't he couldn't drop the mic soon enough for me.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, you must be a big Emma fan then. I love her.
1: I like her. I don't, I don't have her figured out right, right yet. I mean, like, I, and I, and again, I think she plays in the middle. She's not starting at the top and going down the way I like, and that's okay. And she's, wow, what a, what a smarty pants she is. And I was really rooting for her, but now I'm not sure I am. I just want the regular people to come back. I want to. I, I'll be honest. I want to play the game. My way. And I want everybody else to play it my way. But I think that ship has sailed. And I'm very sad about that.
0: Well, we'll see. We'll see. Give it time.
1: Well, were you rooting for him? What was your take on him? Um, I
0: wasn't really rooting for or against him. I was fascinated that someone could come along to this 35 year old show and transform Mm. the way that it was played. That's pretty exciting to me. Yeah, I I I get it. I it wasn't as much fun to play along, but it was a phenomenon. It, I admired him. I, I admired what he did. You know, he he's very different from Ken Jennings. Ken Jennings was just extremely yeah. knowledgeable, very good on the buzzer, just sort of your what you would expect from a top Jeopardy player, right? Like I right. think he'd who he's who you'd put in the Encyclopedia Britannica like, entry for good Jeopardy player.
1: Right. Classic
0: Jeopardy, right. um, and Classic
1: Jeopardy. Yes,
0: yeah. this guy comes along, and he's. It's not so much that he's super knowledgeable. Even he said, like he studied children's books in the libraries to accumulate yeah. facts. You know, he just sort of filled himself up with facts. Um, Although he is very smart, and uh, even when he was a little kid, he was actually featured in a Chicago Tribune article about math geniuses and a new program for, like, math whizzes, and he was one of the kids featured in this story. So he's been an extraordinary intellect for quite some time, but not the sort of, you know, humanities background professorial Jeopardy champ that a lot of people might picture, right, that Ken Jennings was.
1: Well, I, I, I didn't take to him. I didn't... I didn't like him, but I can't tell you why.
0: Well, you didn't really like Ken Jennings either, though, did you? Yeah, I did. Hmm. Didn't I? I remember you rooting for him to lose.
1: Well, uh, you know, after a while, you you gotta root for everybody to lose. Well,
0: after a while, it becomes the Christians and the lion, right? And so, of course, you're rooting for these... You're rooting for these huge underdogs. Let me say one thing I like about Emma is that she's actually a really good player. And she didn't just win on a fluke. In fact, she played a perfect game, which she had to, to win. Um, Because usually, you know, the prototypical uh, streak ender is Nancy Zerg, who uh, ended Ken Jennings' run and then just lost Mm -hmm. the next day, which most most people do. Uh, It's weird, Mm -hmm. but in the history of Jeopardy, the longest streaks have been broken by people who usually lose the next day because they yeah. win, you know, because the other guy had a bad day or it was a fluke or what have you. Emma yeah. is actually good, and they might even come up against each other in the Tournament of Champions if she keeps winning, which would be a lot of fun.
1: That would be fun. I would like to see James crushed again.
0: <laughs> well, I I don't know if Lightning's going to strike as even as good as Emma is because...
1: Well, she's good on the buzzer, though, see, and that is a... That is almost as important as having the knowledge, I mean, is getting your foot in the oh, in the door to answer the question, and she has that.
0: It's just as important, and you're right, she does have that, but it was also a perfect storm for James. You know, the first clue he picked on Monday was the Daily Double, yeah. and he had no money, so we had to just wager— $1,000, which is already the nominal dollars. value of the of the clue, right? That's right. the max you can wager if you don't have any money uh, on a daily double. And so there were essentially no daily doubles in the first round for him. And then in the second round, Emma found them both. So right. this linchpin of his strategy, you know, half of it was finding the daily doubles. And half of it was, of course, being tops on the buzzer. And I feel that when he hit that daily double right off the bat, And had his strategy thrown up, I just think he got caught a little wrong-footed. You you could even see him react when he hit it instantly, like, "Mm," you know, not what he wanted. And I think that allowed Emma—and don't forget about Jay Sexton, the other player in the game, who in Double Jeopardy played quite well.
1: Yes, I agree. He made a little run for it there, and I thought (laughs) he was going to be the one, but—
0: Well, you know, people there was a lot of talk on the Internet about the rather modest Final Jeopardy wager that James made in this game. And what people don't understand is that Jay in third position um, played so well that basically James had to hold him off. So James's wager was such that he could get Final Jeopardy wrong and Jay could get it right and he could still beat Jay. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was his only hope. He knew that if everybody got it right, he was going to lose because, of course, Emma was going to wager enough to cover him. So he has to hope that Emma gets it wrong. And then that's his only avenue to winning. And then he thinks, okay, so how can I maximize my chances in this avenue of winning? And the way to do that is to make sure that Jay cannot pass him. So that's why he wagered so little. People thought that he threw the game. No, he was just, he was being smart and calculating to the very end. That's how you wager. Second place is a tricky wagering position in Final Jeopardy.
1: Well, and you know, here's a man that gambles for a living.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so he had it Uh, figured out.
1: He knows the tricks, let's hope. I mean, if he's making a living at gambling, um, he's, he's got all the tricks in his pocket.
0: You know, I also look at this mom and I think about it from the producer's point of view. This was a Monday show, which means that it was the first show in a taping day. So the producers have a uh, full contestant pool. They'll have about a dozen players there ready to go. And in the interviews after the show aired, uh, James mentioned that he had seen Emma dominate in the warm-up games that they play before they start taping the actual games that day. My guess, Mom... It was a Monday. James is on the verge of breaking Ken Jennings' all time regular season winnings record. It's a big episode. I really think that the producers picked the two people who could really give him a game. I thought that, I don't think that they were trying to bring him down or anything like that. Um, And I don't, I imagine they didn't think that they could. Right. But I think they wanted to give him a game, maybe keep his cash total down. So there's one more episode before he hits the record. But I just think it was very savvy producing for this lineup of contestants to be on the show that day because um, they only had one wrong answer. And even Alex remarked how well everybody played. I think it was set up that way to give us a, a good episode to watch. And when I say set up, it's totally legit. If you're Jeopardy champion, right. part of the deal is you take on all comers, so they can arrange That's it any right. way they
1: want. That, and that was my fear that this was just going to go on and on and on because I didn't see how there could be anybody to 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 beat him with his technique and his knowledge. But how how fortuitous to come a, across a librarian, <laughs> which always seemed to do yep. well, yep. and that and that she's studied Jeopardy, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: she was she was my savior.
0: There's a reason they tossed her out at this crucial moment. And let me say one more thing about Emma, who I do think is awesome, uh, in yeah. part because she she didn't know who James Holtzhauer was. You have to remember, this was taped before his oh, episode right. started airing. So she comes yeah. to the studio that day. And uh, the contesting coordinator says, okay, everybody, you're going up against James Holtzauer. He's a 32-day champion, and he's won $2.4 million. It's not like she's studied his technique and has a strategy to counter it. She's coming in totally cold, and she goes into the studio having never seen this guy play before. Um, But immediately, I have to imagine does the math on how much cash he's he's racking up in each game and realizes how he's playing and just meets him meets him right there right. Um, blow for that's blow right. that to me is extraordinary I can understand if you've been studying him at home and yeah uh, you know you come in loaded for bear but she came in cold and still won that that's pretty impressive
1: that's very impressive it really is it really is very impressive and she she's here, you know, to be in the fight. It looks like she's she's yeah. uh, her own person. She's she's not here to prove anything other than what she herself can do. Yeah. Um, and I I was very glad that James didn't break any of the records.
0: Well, he holds the uh, single day record by quite a wide margin. So that's a pretty
1: yeah posh. That's a
0: pretty <laughs> crucial one. He's won more in a single game of regular season Jeopardy than anybody ever has. And they've played like 8,000 games of it in the Alex Trebek era. That's pretty amazing.
1: I refuse to be amazed at anything that that he did. I just don't want to. I don't want to.
0: He has been vanquished, Mom, so there's no harm in appreciating him now.
1: Well, you know, I have trouble sometimes letting go of a fight that nobody knows I'm in.
2: (laughs) Hmm.
1: Yeah, so well, you know, there's nothing going on to fight with daddy about or it's just so, you know, you pick your enemies where you you can find them.
0: Okay. Um I don't know how we really give a grade for this one. You want to give a grade to this particular episode of Jeopardy, just to just for old time's sake? A plus Okay. Do you have a recommendation for us this week, Mom? Uh,
1: I do want to give you a a very, uh, it's sort of an odd one, because I'm almost finished, but I'm not quite finished. Mm. But I'm reading I Am, and it is a memoir by Isaac Mizrahi. This man puts it out there. What a life. What a life. I mean, he really, really puts his heart out there. To let you understand his struggle growing up as a young Jewish boy who knew he was gay, um, whose parents would not really accept it, and, you know, what he made of himself, amazing, just amazing. I know, you know, it may sound trivial to you, but this was a real struggle, and he has written a beautiful book, just a beautiful book.
0: Wow. So that's I Am by famed fashion designer Isaac Mizrahi. Thank you, Mom. That'll do it for this week's edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back next week to talk about more pop culture. Hmm, what should we talk about, though?
1: I know. I've got something, something interesting. Oh, you
0: always come through, Mom. That'll be great. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. If you have advice for Mom's uh, friendship question, remember, email us. Pop mom at ological.net. We want to hear from you. Mom really wants to hear from
1: you. I do. We
0: love you. Mom and I will talk to you again next week. Bye for now, Mom.
1: Bye, Johnny. I love you.
0: Love you too.